It's time for a new edition of Phillies Talk Podcast. On this show, it's the 16th anniversary of podcasting for Phillies Talk Podcast. It's the 140th season of the Phillies. And DH and the Phillies, what's your opinion on this? We'll talk about this all and more on this show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast for January 23rd, 2022. I'm Rich Baxter, and still waiting for my co-host to join me for the first show for him of the new year. I know he's uh, getting all of his uh, facts and stories together online. Of course, Matt Vesey is who I'm talking about and can't wait to join him. I'm, I'm waiting for his cue to tell me he's ready for the first Phillies Talk podcast of 2022. So uh, hopefully Matt will be joining us soon. And if you want to read some of what he has to say on the web, you can go over to Twitter and follow him at Phillies Bell. And there you can find all of his tweets and uh, stay up with the latest. And I hope everything's going well with Matt and his family here in 2022. And uh, I do read Philly's Bell quite often. It's a wealth of knowledge, just like uh, Matt when he joins us on the show here. You can always learn stuff like today, for example, this afternoon. Um, he tweeted out, happy 46th birthday to ex-Phillies pitcher Brandon Duckworth. And I, I had to take a step back, as I usually do, when I read some of these tweets because it doesn't seem like Brandon Duckworth was on the Phillies 20 years ago to me. It just seems maybe 10, I would have to say. Uh, you know, if I if you asked me before I looked it up, I would have to say probably 10 years since I've seen Brandon Duckworth. But no, folks, it's been about 20 years. He was with the Phillies from 2001 to 2003. And uh, I remember that fresh you know, young face uh, in his early 20s, and um, Matt put a post out on him, and uh, pretty cool. Uh, he was drafted by Toronto in 1995, and then Arizona in 1996, but he did not sign. Instead, the Phillies signed him as a 21-year-old free agent in 1997. Uh, Matt goes on to say he won 15 of 65 games with 58 starts, then was dealt to Houston as part of the Billy Wagner deal. So uh, happy birthday today uh, to Brandon Duckworth, ex-Phillies pitcher. And uh, thank you, Matt, for those wonderful tweets and uh, keeping up on everybody's birthday, things like that. And uh, there was another tweet that Matt, sent out and I did a little research on that and yesterday on January 22nd was a interesting date in Phillies history and that of course was the day that the Phillies signed Jason Worth to a two-year 10 million dollar deal in 2009 that of course with the Phillies riding high coming after their 2008 World Series win and then repeating into the World Series but not winning in 2009, it earned Jason Worth a couple of more years. Um, turning 30 years old in that season, 
of 2009. And the all-star player was worth. And what a bargain it seems like now. A two-year, $10 million deal was signed by Jason Worth. Now, if we look at some other players from that era, I thought of Pat Burrell, and I looked both Burrell's stats up and Jason Wirtz, and it just seemed like Burrell had been with the Phillies since 2000, of course, a 23-year-old uh, getting his chance to play Major League Baseball. By the 2009 season, Burrell would be gone. His last season with the Phillies was 2008, and the Phillies uh, let him walk. And what a difference both players uh, had in how it worked out for them between Jason Wirth and Pat Burrell. Uh, Wirth, of course, going on to sign a monster deal with Washington after that two-year contract with the Phillies. Seven-year, $126 million deal. When I, when I heard that deal, I was flabbergasted. I was floored. I couldn't believe that a team would actually pay Jason Worth $126 million. And it, it came off the heels of a um, of Ryan Howard signing, I believe. A lot of uh, teams were bullish on the Phillies and what they did to get into the World Series. And they were looking for that spark, that combination, I guess, or a start from a player. And Ryan Howard signed a deal with Philadelphia around the same time, uh, 2010. And he got an extension of $125 million five-year deal from the Phillies. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of contract action was going on around ex-Phillies players at that time. They were riding high. They had uh, tremendous success uh, falling back from the Phillies' appearances in the World Series. But Pat Burrell somehow didn't cash in on that success. He was uh, going into the 2009 season, 32 years old. He signed with Tampa Bay for a short uh, two-year deal paying him hardly anything. Uh, in 2009, let's see if I could check his salaries here. He got $7 million from the Rays. And then in 2010, he got $9 million. So two-year deal, $16 million was all Pat Burrell could turn from uh, his participation with the Phillies. And then, of course... Um, he only lasted another season, 2011, signed on with the San Francisco Giants at a bargain, $1 million that season for Pat Burrell. So uh, Burrell's career numbers here, as far as salary is concerned, baseballreference.com puts it at $70,810,000. And Jason Worth, if he didn't get that $126 million contract from the Nationals, he would have never 
eclipsed Pat Burrell's uh, earnings. You know, just getting a two-year deal from the Phillies for 10, and then the Nationals coming out of nowhere with a seven-year deal, uh, signing him for $126 million. And there was an article on uh, BleacherReport.com saying, uh, with this title, Jason Worth and the five dumbest $100 million contracts handed out in MLB history. Uh, goes on to say that the Washington Nationals right fielder, Jason Worth, is hitting just 220 with six RBIs in 21 games this season. This article was written originally on April 29th of 2011. So, um, goes on to say, Worth is just one of several MLB players who have been overpaid considerably in recent years. So, this article um, sort of gets together about five or six players that were severely overpaid in their estimation um, of a contract. So uh, maybe if Worth was a little younger, this would have made sense. But um, the article went on to say, Worth is also a great athlete who can hit for power, run well, and get on base. But is he really worth, pun intended there, Hundred and twenty-six million dollars. So that's just a little bit of Philly's history there, brought on upon by that uh, great tweet from Matt. So Matt, thank you very much for that, and uh, can't wait to get your take on whether baseball will start up on time. And this is the sixteenth year of podcasting by myself and talking about the Phillies online and. Frankly, I still haven't gotten it right <laughs> over 16 years. But, um, you know, every edition, every new uh, show that is released hopefully uh, gets better to, towards that nirvana of podcasting. Maybe in the uh, 25th year of podcasting, I'll earn that nirvana type of uh, Apex Phillies award. So. Given that a lot of it's opinion-driven, it's you know, up to debate whether or not it's actually right. But uh, I'm glad you're joining the show for the uh, 16th season. Started way, way back in the early days of podcasting, 2006. And I've told this story a few times over the years on the show, but if you haven't heard it, I'll tell it again. I worked in business and um, I used to have conversations on sports with a guy that I worked with uh, his name's Jim Mulry who passed away a few years ago now but uh, we used to talk here and there and I'd say to him one afternoon I said Jimmy you know you sound like you have a radio voice and he went on to tell me that yes he did have some small parts in broadcasting uh, doing some uh, basketball stuff and all. So I invited him to uh, do a show on Philadelphia sports. And we sort of did that for probably almost a year. We covered all the major sports in Philadelphia. And it was kind of hard. It was, it was hard to do with a 45-minute show. You really couldn't devote too much 
to either sport, especially in the springtime when you had football still going, basketball, hockey, uh, and then, of course, the Phillies starting up in the spring as well. It was hard to keep track of everything, and the show sort of... Um, we, we thought that we would narrow it down to one topic, and that, of course, was probably one of our most favorite sports, me and Jim, was baseball. So we went with just focusing on baseball, changed the name from Philly Sports Talk to Fightin' Phillies Podcast, Phillies Talk Podcast. That's when we renamed the podcast, and ever since... Uh, it's been broadcasting under that name. So, uh, all right, just we're a day away from a player's response coming back from the MLB's uh, offer to them as far as this work stoppage is concerned and lockout, so to speak. Um, and a lot of people don't have too many optimisms, flames, so to speak, that this uh, situation is going to be handled tomorrow. Players are going to come back with a response, and from what we're hearing in the press is that, you know, they're not going to agree to the owners. They're sticking to their guns, and we're less than a month away from reporting to spring training for all the players. So if the players do not uh, agree in some manner to what the MLB has proposed and want to start up spring training on time. I think this is a pivotal time uh, for baseball. It, it can only be postponed, and that's spring training starting first if there's not an agreement tomorrow on January 24th. So second meeting uh, between the clubs and the MLB ownership um, tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. I mean, stranger things have happened, um, but if there's no agreement, you can almost rest assured that spring training will not happen on time. Generally starts up around Valentine's Day with pitchers and catchers reporting at that time. Uh, different clubs have, you know, three, four, five days later, position players come in. And I was checking online at uh, springtrainingonline.com before I did the podcast here today. And the only team that they have down for any reports of dates of reporting is the Baltimore Orioles. Everybody else says to be announced. The Orioles, rather, have pitchers and catchers on February 15th reporting, first workout, February 15th. Uh, position players, February 20th. And a first full workout of February 21st. So they're on the ball. At least they have dates that are reported, and this uh, website picked it up. And uh, assuming that there's going to be a settlement, then those dates will stand true. And um, a lot rides on this. People's vacations are set up around spring training. You buy tickets for spring training. And I wonder if the listeners have bought any tickets for Philly spring training. I, I don't think I would. 
uh, with what's been going on in sports, I think I'd wait. Because you never know. You never know if there's going to be a season, you know, the way in the past that certain teams have tied up your money, make it harder for you to get it back, want you to put it towards like next season or anything like that. Of course, you know, once they get their money, uh, they don't want to give it back to you for any reason. But um, we'll have to see what happens tomorrow. On the 24th, and hopefully by the next time you hear this podcast, we'll have uh, some firm dates for spring training in Clearwater for the Phillies. And the Phillies are about to embark in their 140th season on the diamond playing baseball in Philadelphia. That's a long time. 1883 is when it all started. And uh, I'm looking forward to baseball, even though it's uh, in the 20s today and uh, 30s for mid-afternoon high, but uh, got a little spring training in me, or spring training and spring fever in me today uh, as I was out pedaling the bike around, sporting the Phillies uh, sweatshirt with a hoodie. Uh, Just can't wait for it. You know, it's really... If you live in the Northeast, you endure a somewhat cold period for a few months. Of course, you have the holidays. And then um, looking into that bright side, you have baseball. And that generally means that spring is right around the corner. So it's a, it's a big thing for, for a lot of people around the area. I can't wait for uh, spring training to start. And it sort of generates a good feeling in you. And, uh, you know, the baseball caps come on from people, you know. uh, They put their football hats away and uh, winter hats and things like that. And then out come the baseball stuff. So can't wait to uh, see that happen. And um, I was talking with a guy yesterday. He had a 49ers hat on, a winter hat. And a shirt. And I said, wow, you're a huge 49er fan, obviously. And he told me, yeah. And when I knew that they were playing the Green Bay Packers, I thought to myself in the back of my mind that, you know, this poor guy's going to be upset after the game because the Packers are going to steamroll him. I mean, Lambeau Field, January, cold. You have that, um, you know, home crowd with you. And then look what happens. The San Francisco 49ers beat the Green Bay Packers by three points. And, wow, that's that's sports for you. It's uh, very thrilling. And uh, we're in the middle of the NFL playoffs right now. Some more games scheduled for today on Sunday, of course. But uh, eyes are starting to uh, glance towards what's being printed in online now. Uh, about the different uh, goings-on with the MLB and specifically, for me, the Phillies. So I'll have a report on the next show all about uh, what went on. And basically, there's a big difference in money, service time, when a player can be called up, um, things like that, differences I think they can iron that out, though. I don't think this is um, something that's 
going to be that hard to iron out in the end. I mean, MLB, you know, the players are getting a pretty decent salary. They're playing a nice game. Uh, people are supporting it. What what more could go wrong? You know, a lot of things are going right for baseball at this time. But if they don't come back to the diamond, if they postpone the season in any way, you're going to get a tremendous pushback from fans. And um, that's something that you don't want to to see if you're a baseball fan. And I hate to hear it because, you know, you hear from people, I'll never watch baseball again. You know, they, they got my last dollar, that sort of thing. Very tough. All right, so moving on from that, um, an article on MLB trade rumors has the Phillies looking positively towards the DH. And this was inspired by an article by Corey Seidman, who writes for NBC Sports Philadelphia, and he also does some uh, online work with them and camera in front of the camera during the season, uh, post-game shows, that sort of thing. He says, given their roster construction, no team wants the designated hitter in the National League in 2022 as much as the Phillies. He goes on to say, the Phillies aren't a strong defensive team and they have several vet veterans who battled injuries in 2021. They could benefit from a partial off day provided by a DH spot. I'm not a big fan of the DH. And anybody that's listened to this show for a long time or a year or so would know that. I, I don't even care that you know, the Phillies would like to have it because I, I just, I don't like what it represents. I like the pitcher to go up and bat. I've been brought up that way. Never been an American League fan. And the American League is so different. You know, it takes the pitcher out of the game as far as handling the bat. And yeah, maybe you'll get a little more offense with a designated hitter, but I, I think baseball was designed with the idea of having nine players on a team and going through those nine players during the year and having them all bat. I, I just don't see that baseball should have a designated hitter. I just, I can't agree with it. That's just my opinion. And you know, you may have your own. You may love the DH. I don't. I just don't think it's um, conducive to real, quote-unquote, baseball. But anyway, uh, Corey Seidman writes in that uh, article for CBS, or I'm sorry, NBC Sports Philadelphia, um, that, you know, he feels that the Phillies would benefit from a DH. So that's one of the things that is going to be hashed out in the offseason here. Will the National League have a DH? Uh, just recently I've heard in the last couple of days that AAA will now have a robo-ump calling baseball. And the Atlantic League, which is not part of um, 
MLB Baseball has said that they will not use it anymore. So that's interesting that one league is throwing it to the wayside while the MLB has really escalated to one of the highest levels in minor league baseball and they're going to have robo-umps. So are we a year or two away from seeing robo-umps call games in major league baseball? That would be interesting as well because, you know, the strike zone is very unique and certain players could use that to their advantage, I think, because you don't have an umpire that's known to call uh, balls that are high or low. Just in those certain zones, they have their own, um, hopefully they have their own sweet spots that they call balls and strikes at, the umpires, that is. And if it goes to something that's a digitally uh, accepted method, then you might have pitchers that, that learn a couple things, where to place a ball that a hitter may not think is a strike, but to the robo-ump, it's going to be a strike. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that uh, down the road and coming this year to the AAA. All right, so um, moving on with the show. I'd like to invite you to check it out at fightinphillies.com. That's the blog home of Phillies Talk Podcast. I've had that for several years. And when I'm not talking about the Phillies, I'm writing about them. So I write there uh, all season long, and I invite you to join me there as well. Fightinphillies.com, no G. And... Um, We'll welcome you with open arms to the blog. Be sure to check in and say hello. You can send me an email at rich at fightinphillies.com. If you want to send a message to Matt, you can send it to him at matt at fightinphillies.com. That's M-A-T-T at fightinphillies.com, and I'll make sure he gets it. All right, so moving on... Uh, couple more stories left for this show and one of them is the Phillies and retired numbers I just stumbled upon this article this afternoon actually and it it's a cup it goes back to yesterday and it's on the goodfight.com that's t h e good g o o d fight p h i g h t.com and Allie Foster wrote this one. And the headline said, This Philly's policy is hurting the franchise's legacy. And underneath of that, why the Phillies should change their policy on retiring numbers. And the article starts out to say, There is no greater honor in sports than for a team to retire a player's number. Philadelphia Phillies have just seven numbers retired, a relatively select group considering it is one of the oldest franchises in Major League Baseball. One of their policies for this honor, however, needs to change, according to this writer. And it says that in the 1990s, the Phillies made the decision that only Hall of Fame players can have their number retired. There's only been one exception, Dick Allen, 
in the three decades since. So, you know, according to this writer, there should be, you know, double the amount of numbers retired, according to what they're saying. And it goes on to list certain players and years that they had with the Phillies. And, you know, I have to say that I think the Phillies have this one right. They're not in a rush to retire everybody's number. They're not the Yankees. And one of the things I do not like about the Yankees is all their retired numbers. Um, You can't get a low number if you're a Yankee anymore. And it's a shame. You know, I understand that they had some great players over the years, but you, you practically don't have any more numbers to give out to players that make sense. And as I'm doing this, I'm trying to look up just how many Yankees have been retired. And of course, I went down to Tampa and saw where they had a park of retired numbers and who they were. And I was just like floored by how many people have a retired number with the Yankees. Number one is Billy Martin. Number two, Derek Jeter. Number three, Babe Ruth. Number four, Lou Gehrig. Number five, Joe DiMaggio. Number six, Joe Torre. Number seven is Mickey Mantle. Number eight is Bill Dickey. And uh, the list goes on from there. Uh, Yogi Berra also wore that number, and that was retired in 1972 by the Yankees. Number nine, Roger Maris wore that number for the Yankees. The retired number was in 1984, so now no, no other Yankee can have that number. Number 15, Thurman Munson, retired in 1979. Number 16, Whitey Ford, retired in 1974. Number 20, retired in 2015, that's Jorge Posada. Don Mattingly, anybody remember his number out there? Number 23, one of my favorite numbers, but retired in 1997, so... The Yankees have so many players that are retired, it's almost ridiculous. I think they're going to have to change their policy to let players wear a number again that's retired. They have 21 retired players' numbers in baseball compared to the Phillies' seven. 21, so three times as many Numbers are retired. You'll never be able to see a player wear number two, number one, number three. One through nine is retired with the Yankees. And that's that's kind of a shame for, you know, players that are coming up. Uh, Maybe they can meet a happy medium with retired numbers and just, you know, call them commemorative numbers or something like that. And, uh, you know, allow somebody else to wear it as well. Because uh, it's it's really the player that you're honoring more so than a number. But you, you take the number out of the mix and you could never use it again. And one day you might have Yankees 
uh, only available from the numbers 50 and up. So <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, if you ask me. All right, we're going to lead this one into the barn with uh, my last story of the podcast here. And this is a generic story um, on baseball and the different merchandise that you can buy. And it was just announced uh, a season or two ago that Topps baseball cards would not be getting the contract again for 2022. And the contract was awarded to a company that sort of creeped into sports, I want to think about 10 to 12 years ago is when I first started seeing this company. Um, And it's called Fanatics. If you're familiar with shopping for Philly's merchandise and things, you've probably heard of the name Fanatics. Well, they just ended up buying Topps trading cards baseball cards for $500 million. So they could probably use the Topps name going forward. And uh, believe it or not, they started off very small. Uh, and then now it's it's a juggernaut. It's sort of like the... Um, you can't compete with it almost. Everything goes through Fanatics now, including what will be the uh, 22 baseball cards, merchandise. And what I remember about Fanatics early on in the Fanatics type of um, takeover of merchandise is kind of how cheap things were. The the shirt that I ordered, for example, was real thin. It was cheap. It reminded me of being a fan in the 70s, going backwards, um, with what they had to offer. And that was a couple shirts that I ordered over the years so far. And I, I stay away from anything fanatics. If I see fanatics, I don't want, I don't want it basically in, in my own collection. Cause I remember how cheap things were, uh, when I ordered it. But, um, this company has basically taken over merchandising for not, only Major League Baseball, but they are also doing football and basketball. So um, you've probably heard of them. And uh, Tops, of course, was with Major League Baseball for decades long. Uh, and then they got shown the door by Major League Baseball. I guess Fanatics are are given more of a, a cutback to the MLB than Topps was doing. And uh, it's kind of strange. I did a little research on the uh, company itself. And Jay-Z is an investor in this company a guy named Mike Rubin uh, is an originator of this company. And I, I just don't like when companies like this start to monopolize certain areas of sports merchandising like Fanatics have been doing. Of course, maybe that means they've been doing a good job or 
or business sense is um, pointing to that, of course. But I, I don't like to have all eggs in one basket when it comes to uniforms that you might buy, um, T-shirts, that sort of thing. I, I believe in a, a nice, healthy dose of competition. And uh doesn't seem right now that, that Fanatics is competing with anybody. They're just sort of running amok with everything and uh, taking over everything. So something to think about there, $18 billion private valuation of a company who is about to um, possibly launch a public offering. So, you know, they're turning this into a, a juggernaut, so to speak. Um, not so sure that it's good for the fan pricing, that sort of thing. I like competition. And uh, right now, Fanatics uh, taking over the world, it seems. All right, well, that about wraps it up for this podcast for January 23rd, Phillies Talk Podcast. Hit like and subscribe if you're listening to the show on iTunes or maybe you're tuning in on YouTube. I have a production there. Uh, hit like and hit that subscribe button because we need a 1,000 subscribers to get uh, more interesting topics for you online and uh, some great guests as we have over the years as well so thanks for listening to this edition of phillies talk podcast everyone take care stay safe be well and i'll talk to you soon